This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It feels like there's a lot of anger and aggression out there for sure, including at the Pacific Highway border crossing on the weekend. Have a listen. I've got BC Solicitor General Mike Farnworth standing by. First, have a listen to this report now by Global News reporter Kamal Karamali. Many protesters didn't want to be interviewed. Some took part in civil dialogue. What can you tell people who are showing a midfinger to chapter of rights? But others decided to resort to name-calling and threats against police. Uh, just give me some space. And media. Disgusting. Filthy human being. You're a filthy human being. Don't You're disgusting. Your the crowd following us back to our vehicle, yelling slurs, hateful rhetoric. Okay, there's a police uh, investigation going on into the incidents there that Kamal was reporting on at the border protest. That happened on Saturday, the same day that protesters showed up at the House of the Minister of Public Safety, Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, and he's my first guest this morning. Minister, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure, Mike. Okay, Minister, let's start with what happened at your house there. What what went down there on Saturday? So about uh, about 1 o'clock, um, some guy comes to uh, knocks on the door. My partner answered, and he's, he goes, Does Mike Farnsworth live here? And uh, my partner's like, do I look like him? You know, like, no, um, who are you? And he goes, this isn't one, and he gave the address, and then Doug closed the door, and then the next thing, looked out the window, there's a whole mess of cars in the parking lot across the street, uh, and then all of a sudden, these about ended up being about 30 of these protesters with bullhorns and flags or on the sidewalk outside our house across the street, and uh, started yelling and screaming, and like for the next three three and a half hours about four thirty. um you know it was just non-stop non-stop noise um non-stop bullhorns um just you know really really obnoxious what did they want oh well it was just like mandates end of times yeah. is coming um you're injecting uh animal parts uh, uh in the vaccine anti-vax people like it was just it was just, it was just nuts. You really couldn't make out other than just a nonstop stream of noise. You know, I mean, we've got on the street I live on. There's families have got little kids. Um, clearly, you know, wouldn't be pleasant for them. Our dog was completely stressed out. But it's just like just a nonstop sort of harassment. And then, you know, they had vehicles in front of the house, um, and the, uh, the police came um, and. Uh, two police officers in front of the, the house uh and then uh, it was just yeah it was just 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 nuts you ever you ever experienced anything like that at your own home like protesters showing up at your house like that before i have never uh experienced anything like that and and, and i'm hard-pressed to think i know there's been a couple of incidences of different you know of, of, of elected officials over the years who've had people show up at their house i mean it's it's not something that we do in this province or in this country. I mean, there's plenty of ways that people can legitimately protest 
but you don't do that in front of uh, in, in front of somebody's house. Yeah, were they like ba- banging on your door? Like after after this one person came to the door and the door was closed, did they continue to knock on the door, or did they, st- they go yeah, onto your no, property? There was, there was, or? There was uh, uh, another woman came and, and put something in the door, and then when she's leaving, she turns around and takes a selfie of herself. Mm. Like uh, you know, you're kind of wondering what is the mentality. Uh, there was just it was just it was just like literally nonstop bullhorn shouting through a bullhorn and noise and it was and, uh, and then the vehicles driving by honking their horns and um yeah it was just it was just it was just just it's just disgraceful frankly yeah, speaking to solicitor general mike farnworth about protesters showing up at his house on the weekend so this went on for, did you say it went on for like three and a half hours yeah it went from um, about, wow. about one till about four thirty. Uh, in the afternoon, and then um, you know, and then some. At one point, I'm going, "Is this going to end?" Because this guy's going, "We're going to be here all night," and I'm like, "Thank you, oh God, right?" Yeah. When did the police show up? Uh, they showed up uh, pretty soon because I got uh, some people phoned and said, um, "You know, is this what's going on?" And I, we have a protocol. Um, contact let's secure you and then the local the detachment contacted me and they said they were sending police over and they came over pretty quick and and then what how did they did they disperse after the police showed up no no they stayed they stayed on the uh, they stayed on the sidewalk on the other side of the street on on uh on public property uh and, and just kept doing what they were doing but so you'd get you know cars or these you know some vehicles come by and they park and they'd honk their horns and then they drive off again and it was just yeah it was just uh, a group of about 30 about 30 people um and they just non-stop noise did you did you ever feel concerned for your personal safety uh at that there were two police officers so it was i didn't feel concerned in for personal safety but certainly it's unnerving you know yeah. and you felt for the people like <laughs> one thing um the dog was like just you know she was pretty stressed out um panting and whining and like what you know what's going on but yeah. you, you kind of go it does make you stop and think um given everything we've seen but uh yeah no it was the, the police were there and they, they did a good job speaking of solicitor general mike farnworth what, what is your perception or thoughts and feelings on on at an event like that at your own home we saw the the blockade the truck blockade blockade in ottawa went on for three weeks we saw a lot of aggressive police action to end it on the weekend. We've seen these blockades at our border, including one on the weekend there at the Pacific border crossing here in BC. We see the attack on the on the pipeline in northern British Columbia. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of a lot of aggressive protesting going on. What are your thoughts about what's going on in our province and our country right now? There's a lot of aggressive uh, protesting going on by a small fringe minority, and it's really disturbing. And when you see journalists. Uh, uh, you know, being harassed, spit on, um, you know, racial slurs, hateful language being aimed at them. That's just, that is just completely unacceptable. Um, and I know in that case, the police are investigating. And the, uh, the, you know, all I can say is the police have done, a, I think, a really good job, you know, down at the border in terms of dealing with the protests. I mean, by and large, you know, most protests are, have, have been lawful, but there are, you know, what we've seen in Ottawa clearly is just uh, out of control. Um, and people in Toronto, you can protest. You know yeah. that's part of our free free society. 
but there are limits. It's not an absolute right to go and to harass people. You don't have a right to intimidate people or to to be yeah. hateful uh, to them. And and you and you don't go and protest in front of people's houses. There's plenty of legitimate places to go and protest to make your point. But some of the stuff that we've seen, I think, over the last last few weeks, strikes me. It's like almost like a spillover out of the U.S. of what we've seen south of the border. The type of hostility and aggression that you've seen down there um, that we don't normally see here um, in, in this province and in this country. Minute Minister, let me ask your thoughts about the the pipeline attack that we saw last week in northern British Columbia. Police saying about 20 people attacked property and employees there of the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline near Houston, B.C. There's an investigation going on. To my knowledge, still no arrests there. Can you give us an update on that? What I can tell you, that I mean, obviously, it's just a reprehensible, uh, just completely uh, criminal act uh, that saw a police officer injured and, and workers uh, terrorized. And there's a, you know, a full-scale uh, criminal investigation underway. And I certainly hope, I think like most people do, that the individuals are, are, are caught um, and they're brought to justice because there's, uh, there's just no place for that and at the time it happened. Um, I said we absolutely just completely condemn this action and those who've done it because this is this is this is a, this is a criminal act. We got the the new leader of the Liberal Party in British Columbia, Kevin Falcon, calling for a, a tougher crackdown on illegal protests, and uh, he was a guest here on the show last week and talked about what he called growing lawlessness in British Columbia. And let me play a clip here for you, Minister, and get your thoughts on what he had to say, Kevin Falcon on some of the lawlessness we see in bc right now have a listen i think that the message this sends around the world which is exactly what they're trying to achieve i'm sure is that somehow it's uh, bc is a place that's not safe to do business this is a growing pattern of lawlessness that we've seen in british columbia your thoughts on that we've seen protests in the last um several uh, several weeks right across the country this isn't an issue uh just here in british columbia um the police are doing um, everything they can uh, to deal with illegal protests, whether it's enforcing the injunction or in the case of this criminal act up in uh, up in uh, in the north. Uh, they are doing a full-scale investigation. Uh, but let's also be clear: this is still a safe province for uh, businesses to operate, um, and uh, that's going to continue. Um, you know, we the government is uh, supporting the. Uh, pipeline project um it's being built um and you know we've had protests in this province before even when the uh the bc liberals are in power um and we're going to make sure that uh you know laws are enforced and that's what the police are doing and uh as you know i don't direct the police but i can tell you this uh they have the tools that they need and if they need additional tools and obviously government's in a position uh to uh, to provide what's needed Minister, thank you for taking the time today on a holiday. I appreciate it a lot. My pleasure. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the attack now on the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline last week in northern British Columbia. Police investigating. They say approximately 20 people showed up at a remote work camp working on that pipeline project and attacked workers and equipment there. Millions of dollars worth of damage. There have been no arrests here. There is a large police investigation going on in northern British Columbia on this pipeline attack. We've got a great panel standing by for you on this topic. First, have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Emma Adagahi. 
There's a clear escalation of violence. Uh, this was in the middle of the night. This is a co coordinated effort um, by multiple people. The RCMP and Coastal Gaslink, the company building this pipeline, say the alleged attack happened shortly after midnight on Thursday. It's claimed around 20 people dressed in camouflage and masks, carrying power tools and an axe, confronted nine overnight workers at the site. Those workers fled for their own safety, and according to the pipeline company, the attackers stormed onto the site, hijacking heavy equipment to cause an estimated $6 million in damage to machinery and infrastructure. Okay, Global reporter Imadagahi there. You also heard the voice of RCMP Staff Sergeant Sasha Baldinger. Let's discuss now with our panel both sides of it for you. Chris Sankey, he is a former elected band counselor with Alaxqualam First Nation in Prince Rupert. He is uh, with the McDonald Laurier Institute, senior fellow there. He's an entrepreneur. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. He supports the Pipeline Project. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, okay. Also on the line is Dr. Tim Takaro from Simon Fraser University. Tim is a retired physician. He is an opponent of the pipeline. He's been arrested himself for blocking pipeline construction. Tim, thank you for coming on again. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Okay, okay. Thank you to both of you, Chris. Let me go to you first. You're you're an indigenous leader in British Columbia. You you support this pipeline project. What did you think of that attack? Oh, it's horrible. I mean, people were attacked for simply doing their jobs. I mean, at the end of the day, we want all of our men and women to go home uh, to the safety of their families, and um, this is just unfathomable. This is no longer about the uh, rights and title issue here. When you uh, decide to put the, the option in your hands to potentially take the life of an individual, you deserve to face a, attempted murder and a long time in jail. It's, it's atrocious. It's vile. Okay, Professor Tim Takaro, what did you think about that? I mean, you're an opponent of this project. Uh, you've been arrested yourself for civil disobedience and trying to stop pipeline projects. But what did you think of that? that attack we saw well we, we condemn it unconditionally our okay. uh, movement is a nonviolent civil disobedience movement uh, to <clears throat> protect the planet from um, the uh, devastation of climate change and uh, we condemn any form of violence okay I'm very I'm very glad to hear that do you think that a lot of people have pointed to recent comments from David Suzuki, uh, who said that if governments don't do something about climate change, you could see pipelines blown up. And he later walked that back, said he shouldn't have said that. He doubled down on it first, but then walked it back. Do you think in any way, like a lot of people are pointing at those David Suzuki comments, Tim, and saying, like, this is what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. This guy, you know, those type of comments inflame people and, and potentially instigate this kind of stuff. But your thoughts? Yeah, well, as you point out, he um, uh, pretty quickly uh, walked back those comments because they were um, misinterpreted. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I haven't spoken uh, with David about that. All I know is that um, he has uh, he has uh, uh, discounted them by by uh, saying that he was um, misinterpreted. Um, we have no idea who uh, was behind the violence here, and uh, until 
we do have an understanding of who that was. I think um, we're kind of missing the point here, and that is that in 2022, we cannot afford to increase our carbon emissions by building uh, a completely new industry of fracked methane, liquefying fracked methane. Um, we have to begin uh, dismantling the fossil energy in industry and making a just transition uh, to green energy and helping workers and indigenous communities uh, make that transition. Okay, okay, Chris Hankey, what do you think of that? Well, look, it's not up to the professor uh, to make that choice for indigenous people. I mean, I don't understand why he opposes indigenous self-determination. At the end of the day, whether... Hang on, Tim, hang on, hang on, I'll give you Tim, Tim, I'll give you a chance, hang on. Whether it is the indigenous people in Pachita that want to cut down a stick... Uh, in their backyard, that's up to them. Collectively, as Indigenous people, we've we're, we're grown tired of this clon- uh, this uh, colonial ma- ma- mindset. We know how to take care of the environment. We know how to grow the economy. We look at responsible resource development. We look at planet, people, and profit first. So this whole Norse notion that somehow that this project is going to hurt, no, it's not. The demand for oil and gas is only going up. The first time in the history of Canada... Indigenous people have the first right to make these things not only affordable, but safe for their environment. The Allen G. Canada uh, project is the greenest one in the planet, and it's all guided by Indigenous. Two-thirds of the Indigenous people support this. This is going to replace coal in Asia. I mean, I don't understand why they keep thinking they could speak for us. They cling on to a small faction of people. Now, listen, not everybody's going to agree, but I know this for a fact. We were one of the communities that did, and we looked long and hard at this. Although a small part of the IBA, the vast majority support this because of the safety and the displacement of coal in Asia. That's the reality. And this story, it's about Indigenous prosperity, and that's a matter of a fact. Okay, Professor Takaro, go ahead. Well... I um, just want to say that Chris is um, contributing to the division here. Um, I am not saying anything about Indigenous sovereignty. I'm talking about climate change and increased emissions and the protection of the planet. Uh, We absolutely support uh, the rights and title to land, including the traditional leaders of the Wet'suwet'en, where the pipeline is going and Chris is trying to divide indigenous against indigenous here by calling uh, concerns about climate change and increased emissions uh, a way of taking away from indigenous people. Let's consider the Trans Mountain Pipeline. So the Trans Mountain Pipeline also crosses um, many uh, indigenous territories both seated and unseated, and the government has tried to divide people against one another by uh, using the Indian Act and the uh, reserve system to, and buying them off, paying them to support the pipeline uh, against the rights and titles of uh, hereditary chiefs and hereditary people across British Columbia. Okay, let me get Chris's... This is a colonial 
uh, attempt to divide people. And okay, we let, are me get, that. let me get Chris's res- a brief response to that, and then we'll fit in a break in here. Chris, go ahead. Look, man, uh, first of all, the sky is, uh, you're not fooling anybody here. The sky is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. He tries to pretend he's the indigenous friend. This guy wouldn't know what a, a, a bloney sandwich if you hit him in the face. He knows nothing about our culture and hereditary. I come from a, a line of hereditary chiefs and matriarchs. I know my place and my, and my ancestral name. This guy has no idea what he's even talking about. It's these individuals, Mike, that go out into the public and pin hereditary against elected body. The reason the elected body is there is from the colonial system. We're not disagreeing with that. There's nothing more that we want than to break away from the Indian. However, right now, the reason the body is there is to protect the interests of everybody that holds title to the land, which is the name, not the individual. If you knew that, you would have been able to understand that. When I die, my name goes, on, goes to the next eldest nephew. That's how this works. By trying to pin our elected officials who worked extremely hard to put us in a position where we'd now go to the banks and borrow and generate self-revenue, for these individuals to stand in our way of indigenous prosperity is ludicrous. We okay. know how to take care of the environment and grow the economy. At the end of the day, there is nothing more than we want than to make sure that happens on our terms. Okay. All right, welcome back to the show. As we continue talking about the Coastal GasLink pipeline under attack last week, my guest Chris Sankey, former elected band councillor, Laxqualam First Nation, he supports the pipeline. Dr. Tim Takaro, Simon Fraser University, he's one of the leaders of Stop TMX. He is uh, opposed to the pipeline. Tim, let me uh, allow you to respond to what Chris had to say before the break around about First Nations. Like it seems to me that. The company here says that they have the support of all 20 First Nations along that pipeline route, right? Like, you're not buying that? No, that's that's incorrect. What they have are the support of the uh, reserves along the route. Uh, most of the route is on traditional unceded territory of the Wet'suwet'en, and uh, they do not support the pipeline. Chris, what do you say to that? <laughs> he would do his homework. He would understand that part of our elected body is a part of the hereditary body. Why? Because we're actually the same people who follow our mother line. And then with Sud, and if he would just pay attention to uh, Teresa Day, uh, he would hear the fact that, yes, there are people that either are indifferent, opposed, but majority are in favor. We have people in our community that weren't necessarily in favor of project, but they did it because they saw the benefit of getting us away from the Indian Act. Where else are we going to get this, the generation, sorry, the next generation, when we think seven generations ahead, the revenues that we could take yeah. so we could move away from dependency of the INAC system. The new, there's new fuels that are coming on board. The drop-in fuels are lower emissions. Plants are, are lowering their emissions. There's zero sulfur fuels coming out. And it's all changing. And guess who's leading the pack? Indigenous combined with hereditary. So the doctor okay. there needs to do his homework. Okay, Tim, I guess one of the things that seems to be a stumbling block here is that if you have these elected band councils support a project, but then you have in some cases, a a small number or even one person voices opposition to it in the community, then is that a veto on the project? Like if you have one hereditary chief says that they're opposed to the project, do you think that should stop the project? Do you need like unanimous consent in your opinion? Look, I'm, 
I'm not indigenous, as, as Chris has uh, pointed out. Uh, Chris doesn't know me, though, and he doesn't know of my work uh, with the First Nations Health Authority, and he doesn't know of my work uh, on climate change and the uh, direct relationship between these pipelines and increasing emissions. These emissions will be deadly for future generations, just as they were deadly last summer when over 600 people died from climate-related uh, illness here in British Columbia. I'm a doctor, and I can represent the health and wellness um, of communities and the health and wellness of future generations. I am not indigenous, and I don't pretend to be. And what I can say only is that these projects will lead to increased emissions, which the planet can no longer tolerate, and future generations will condemn us okay. if we do not reduce emissions. Let's squeeze a call in here real quickly. Sharon has been waiting on the line in Burnaby. Hi, Sharon. Go ahead. Well, I'm with the um, chief up in northern British Columbia. I think we have to go ahead with this gas pipeline as well as TMX. I think that the guy in his ivory tower up at Simon Fraser needs to wake up because look what happened with the TMX pipeline when it was put out of business while we had those floods and the gas prices here went sky high. And I'm sad to say that not a lot of people can afford to go out and buy an electric car. And even if they did, we don't have the electricity to handle the demand for that right now anyways. Okay, and I let me get really his do applaud that chief wanting to get away from the Indian Act in time that they stood up, made their own decisions, and I agree with him that they're going to try to do this, to do this as environmentally friendly as they can. But do we okay. want rail lines carrying this stuff? I mean, that's not environmentally friendly either. Tim, what do you say to that? He's got a minute and a half left here. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a false choice. We don't have to choose between rail lines and pipelines. We have to think about the future where we have a zero carbon economy. And to get to that future, you don't build 30 to 40 year infrastructure that will perpetuate the problem. So okay. I, okay. I think that this, uh, this is a travesty what has happened uh, at Coastal Gas Link's work facility. And the police need to show um, exactly the same kind of intensity of investigation for the missing and murdered indigenous women. These women's crimes have not been investigated. Okay, let me let, let me let Chris, let me let Chris respond to that just in the interest of time, which is running out. Chris, you got thirty seconds here. Go ahead. Look, the the professor's trying to patronize me in terms of what he's doing with indigenous people. Like, I'm just look, it, it's over, man. I I don't buy it. Uh, you trying to throw that in the faces of our people? I hope you do continue to represent all populists, regardless of race, for their health and safety or well-being. I know what is going on in this project, and it's going to set the greatest targets of reduction of emissions. Second to that is that it's indigenous-led environmental processes that is changing okay. the scope of how these projects go forward. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the truck blockade in Ottawa, which uh, came to an end on the weekend as police took back the streets of the capital city. That was an extraordinary uh, police operation there with officers from across Canada gathering in Ottawa to clear the streets of protesters in Ottawa, and they were able to take the streets back. Should the police and intelligence officials in Ottawa have seen this thing coming? Why did it take so long? to deal with this and what about how the police managed to do this and we got a great panel of policing experts standing by for you first have a listen to this here now you're going to hear former ottawa police chief Vern white here describing the tactics of police in the capital i think it's about moving down taking space each each time you go down take that space from them remove the people who are refusing to leave hopefully enticing a large number that, you know what, I came here for protest. I didn't come here for jail. I certainly didn't come here for a criminal record. And a lot of those people helped them get out of the city. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest. We've assembled a great panel for you. Rob Rothwell, he's a former superintendent with the Vancouver Police Department. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. I highly recommend his new book, 33 Years, The Unfiltered Memoir of a Cop. Rob, thanks for coming on today. Hey, great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Also, thank you. Also on the line is Cash Heed, former chief of the West Vancouver Police Department, BC's former solicitor general. And it's nice to have him back, too. Cash, thank you for coming on today. Good morning, Mike. Good morning to both of you guys. Hey, Cash, let me go to you first. What did you think of the police operation that we saw in the streets of Ottawa the last few days? Absolutely incredible. I think it was a well-planned uh, execution, and they executed in what I would say is probably the the most wanting result that you could imagine. They were able to quell the disturbance in two days and they used very, very limited amount of force. I was very surprised on the limited use of force that was uh, utilized by the police in order to get some stability within that area, clear the area out as uh, Senator Byrne White said, and they were able to take back that space in a relatively uh, short period of time and I think we'll get some type of normalcy in the uh, Ottawa region for why, now. Why were you surprised that the you thought there would be it would take more force? Absolutely, I thought yeah. the continuum of force would actually be utilized to uh, where, in fact, you'd have to use some of the munitions, such as the uh, rubber bullets and the uh, irritant gases, in order to disperse that crowd. If you recall, Mike, and I, I'll make a strong point here. The bravado attitude of some of those individuals prior to the emergency act being enacted and the police actually moving in with a well-resourced plan to disperse this. That bravado attitude kind of uh, uh, certainly uh, went down rather quickly and these people moved along. Most of them moved on their own. We've got probably just over 200 arrests. But what was very important is the symbolic removal of their trucks of their vehicles and i think that was so important to see that because that took away most of their uh, their bravado attitude and their their so-called uh power okay rob rothwell your thoughts i think they were extremely restrained and measured in their approach but it's clear that they were prepared to deal with the worst case scenario whether that be some sort of insurrection into the parliament buildings or the pm's office So it's quite evident that they were prepared for that. And uh, one other comment, you know, that people have to keep in mind here, 
the police have to also uh, com- they have to find evidence or accrue uh, evidence uh, to move forward with charges. And to develop this evidence, you can't go rushing in. It takes time to determine who those individuals are that you're you're uh, dealing with, and to make sure that that's all properly documented. So barging in and throwing people in jail without that uh, aspect taken care of uh, is only uh, you know a recipe for disaster. Rob, could you comment on? It seemed like a very deliberate a slow sometimes process but a a very well planned strategy of the a police line that would move forward it almost looked like almost like a 10 meter increments or so you know take back another part of the street and then lots of officers in reserve if someone does resist and is arrested and it might take someone told me this morning it you, you basically want two to one police officers, like two officers to arrest one person. So if you've got two officers arresting someone who's resisting, then you have to have reserves in, in the behind them, right? Like t- two new police officers to move up into the line. Like, is that a rough approximation of the strategy? Well, it is. I mean, you want to move incrementally so that you're not escalating uh, the potential for violence. And at the same time, when you have people that are resisting or resorting to violence in front of you, they generally get pulled through the front line and moved to the back where they are uh, dealt with by an arrest team so that they can be arrested without uh, the police being swarmed by the rest of the protesters, which would happen if they were tried to make the arrest in front of the line. Okay, speaking to Rob Rothwell, former VPD Superintendent Cash Heed, former West Van Police Chief. We're talking about the police strategy in Ottawa. We also heard, Cash, that the police had drone footage, so they had drones in the air so they could get aerial views of exactly where people were gathered. I mean, that has that, uh, that looked like it was part of the strategy. A hundred checkpoints around the area. It seemed to work like pretty much like clockwork by the book there. Absolutely. They established an outer perimeter. You'll recall that was one of the first things they did when they had the resources and the uh, emergency act enacted. Uh, They arrested then some of the key organizers, the coordinators of this. They uh, froze the uh, resources that were coming in, the money. Then they moved to the inner perimeter and established a very strong inner perimeter and then started removing some of the vehicles. So they had several overt resources, and certainly they had covert resources. So you probably only saw 25% of the access they had to resources to deal with this. They would have had covert resources within the crowd. They would have known exactly what was taking place. But in addition to having... What, what, is that, what does that mean, covert resources? You'll have undercover police officers that are monitoring the crowd, that are identifying some of the people that are going to possibly cause further violence, from the group or trying to move the group in a certain uh, direction. That will all be broadcast to the command center, which is the brains of the operation. This is incredible what they set up there, the Unified Command Center, with, uh, I'm sure it was led by the RCMP, but you certainly had Ottawa police presence in their command and also the OPP. When you set that up, Michael, that's where all the information, whether it's visuals on large screens that are in the command center that are coming back to the incident commander who's in charge at that point, you will have all of the information coming from some of the covert resources that are out there. You'll even have access to the CCTV cameras all around there, whether it's on the legislative buildings or in some of the private buildings. So all that information would have come in and they would have enacted their plan 
uh, as they saw. If they had to uh, revert to an immediate action plan, they had the resources, and then you would have seen additional resources. But this went like clockwork. I've never seen an operation of this magnitude run so well as uh, it happened in Ottawa. Uh, Rob Rothwell, one of the things that impressed me was that the police gave every opportunity for people to leave, you know, including in the days leading up to the police action. There were warnings that were very clear warnings put out, like you will be arrested. You will have your truck confiscated. You, you will potentially go to jail. Now's your opportunity to leave. And that seemed to be happening throughout the operation, like give every opportunity for people to leave you don't have to go to jail you don't have to have a criminal record leave now and here's your opportunity to leave right up until the last second but your thoughts that's right well that really tends to reveal the intent of the crowd so um, those people that do depart then obviously they're not intending to uh, resort to violence or some uh, sort of resistance but those that remain have kind of demonstrated uh, what their intent is And that's also important in terms of evidence gathering as well, that you can uh, demonstrate to the courts that these individuals were well aware of what the consequences would be if they didn't leave. And as a result of that, uh, they were arrested. So that's also part of the evidence gathering continuum. All right, we're talking about the truck uh, blockade in Ottawa, which has been brought to an end now with the combined efforts of police from across Canada taking back the streets of the capital. Speaking to Rob Rothwell, former Vancouver Police Department Superintendent Cash Heed, former BC Solicitor General. Let me play a clip here for you guys of Steve Bell, who is the interim Ottawa police chief. And he was asked, now that the streets have been cleared, does that mean it's all over or could there be more investigations and more charges of people who are involved? Have a listen to what he had to say here. Steve Bell. If you are involved in this protest, we will actively look to identify you and follow up with financial sanctions and criminal charges. Absolutely. This investigation will go on for months to come. It has many, many different streams, both from a federal uh, financial level, from a provincial licensing level, from a criminal code level, from a municipal breach of court order, breach of court injunction level. It will be a complicated and time-consuming investigation that will go on for a period of time. You have my commitment that that investigation will continue and we will hold people accountable for taking our streets over. Okay, Ottawa Police Chief Steve Bell speaking there. Cash Heed, what did you think of that? Like, there may have been a perception there, okay, it's all over now, but he says this investigation is going on for months. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, the investigation will drag on for more than months. For example, in Stanley Park investigations for the riots here, it went on for four years. So they've got a technique in place to identify people that were there for a prolonged period of time that may have uh, committed uh, certain crimes. And they'll go after the ones uh, at the higher end of uh, uh, committing those particular crimes, whether it's criminal, provincial, or even uh, breach of the court order. And uh, what is important, though, Mike, is yeah. no, it's not over. They've, they've utilized a different strategy now where they've secured the streets in Ottawa with, uh, with fencing. I believe that's going to be semi-permanent for a period of time to make sure that this does not come back and set root. I strongly believe you'll see these demonstrations with we call normal demonstrations across Canada to support this so-called freedom movement. 
but I think police will react to it based on a different style that we're used to seeing on TV. But, I, you know, this is far from over in Canada yet, but they've quelled the main part of it. They've done the heavy lifting and will just react to whatever occurs elsewhere across the country. We will have uh, some sort of inquiry or, rev- or review uh, of these events in the days ahead. And Rob Rothwell, I- I'm wondering about, do you think whether police or intelligence officials in the nation's capital should have seen this coming, should have known that this was a potential likely outcome of an occupation of the streets of downtown Ottawa? Should they have been prepared for it, stopped it from happening, or maybe ended it a lot sooner? Your thoughts? Well, it's really difficult to have that crystal ball to know exactly what uh, this group plans and uh, what they, you know, what they will do as opposed to what they say they will do. Um, you know, the atmosphere of these events is always unknown until they really get going. And uh, I think it was pretty evident to Chief Slowly uh, early on that uh, this probably was going to be something that would require a huge amount of resources to resolve peacefully or without any large degree of violence, and that there was still the risk of uh, of actions, you know. And I know that uh, the Coots uh, event happened probably a week or so into the Ottawa um, uh, siege, but um, at that point, things really changed in my mind in terms of the level of uh, risk uh, that would have to be addressed uh, during any sort of police action. Uh, the weapons out of Coots and uh, the charges against uh, four individuals for conspiring to murder the police and uh, the potential connection between the Coots uh, protesters and those at Ottawa, really, I think that really was a huge red flag and it really intensified the operation uh, at uh, Ottawa and obviously required resources beyond just what you saw on the street there. So it is difficult at the start of these events to uh, have any good handle on um, how respectful they'll be, how cooperative uh, the protesters will be. Uh, Are they going to be a pain in the the butt for like one or two days and then maybe some civility will uh, will creep in there? But that didn't happen. And that was a bit of a shock because... Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay, well, Cash, I mean, do you think they should have seen this coming and been better prepared? I think they should have been better prepared. I don't think they saw it coming the way it actually came because we've had these demonstrations in Ottawa before. For example, the farmers and their tractors and stuff like that. They came and they went. Chief Soli actually thought they were going to come and go. And I think what yeah. his downfall was is when they actually set root, allowing that to fester on the streets in Ottawa instead of coming in with some type of action to prevent it from getting so entrenched and display the unethical, the the poor behavior that we saw from these people, which is, in my mind, criminal and, of course, uh, you know, certainly violated the the laws of that uh, city. There's been some really interesting analysis on the social media posts that were put up online in the early days of this convoy heading to Ottawa, and some of them indicate pretty clearly that they were planning for an occupation. For example, you know, one of the organizers looking at a post right now that came out and said, look, we need porta-potties, we need an army-style mess hall, tent, for a place for the protesters to eat. We need donations for hotels and to keep people, help drivers in their trucks for up to 10 days once they arrive in Ottawa. So I think, you know, there were some indications that they were planning to show up and, and not leave. But well, the, chief, yeah. the chief lost his job because of that. 
we, yeah. we you know, Chief Stoli, he's gone. He's not there any uh, longer. You heard Acting Chief Bell come in, and Acting Chief Bell has done a good job. But a chief lost his job because of that lack of preparation. We saw that not only in Ottawa, we saw that in Washington, D.C. on January 6th last year. Yeah. Hey, Rob, we just have one minute left. Do you think that this will change the sort of security apparatus and planning in Ottawa and maybe elsewhere going forward in case something like this happens again? We've got a minute left here. Yeah, absolutely. I have no doubt that it will. Um, that, again, you know, looking at the worst-case scenario, I think the worst-case scenario just got worse, uh, you know, and uh, they're going to have to plan uh, to, to that degree. All right. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for coming on today to talk about it. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot. That is Cash Heed there, former West Vancouver Police Chief, former Solicitor General in British Columbia, Rob Rothwell, former Vancouver Police Department Superintendent.